All right. Sweet babies, it's so good to see you all. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, open it up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is in the New Testament. Chapter 3 is after 2, before 4. Can't get you any closer than that. Any closer. Hey, Danielle. Good seeing you. Um, so the past couple of weeks, throughout this month, we've been talking about the, the cost of discipleship. Briefly mentioned that earlier. Um, we started off in Luke 14 when, and we looked at the demands of Jesus when he says, if you wish to be my disciple, these things must happen. Um, and we walked through that and we saw that even though our salvation is free, our justification because of what Jesus did on the cross, he demands our whole life. So every moment of our lives after the moment of salvation is a constant pursuit of us trying to become more like Jesus. Then so the next week, look, we looked at what it's like after we're saved, we're meant to be disciples and to make disciples. We looked at what it's like to actually pour into someone else, what it looks like to, to disciple someone, what it's like to be a, the importance of being a part of community and being a part of a church and finding someone that you can show them the love of Christ, that you can just pour yourself into. And even though sometimes that can be frustrating... Even though sometimes that can be difficult, it is our job to help other people become who it is they were meant to be, but also help them to fall into a greater love with Jesus. And tonight, we are going to try to wrap it up, no promises, of what it actually looks like to be a disciple. Um, and that is where we are going to start in Colossians chapter 3. I'm hoping you're there. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm just going to read through verse 9. It says this, <coughs> Not again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. With Christ who is, who, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you love us. God, thank you for the power and just, God, the love that is found in your word. God, I pray that your truth will be communicated tonight. Holy Spirit, that you will move among us. God, this will be more than just a moment where we're sitting here together, but God, a moment where we are with you. God, we've been praying today that you would save. God, we've been praying today that you would reveal to the lost their need for a great Savior, and that Savior is you. So God, please save in this time together. Holy Spirit, just whatever walls need to come crashing down, let them come crashing down. Jesus, become our whole life. So Father, what you want to give, we receive, and we receive what you want to give. Jesus, we exalt your name in this place. God, do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, God, and hearts that are ready to believe. God, there's no accident that we are together right now. 
God, we love you. Become real to someone in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what's happening is there is a church. Paul is writing a letter to the church. Um, it's called, it is in the city of Colossae, but it's called the Colossians because they're the Colossian people. So he is writing this letter to a group of people, a, group, a church in this city. So you are assuming if they're going to church, they must all be believers. You must assume if they're going to church, they must all be saved. You're assuming if they're going to church, they must be Jesus. I mean, they must love Jesus, not be Jesus. But when Paul starts chapter 3, he says, if then. See, Paul is giving evidence that oftentimes the people who are gathered together in a church building, not all of them are saved. Not all of them know who Jesus is. They may have an idea about who Jesus is. They may be, even believe that Jesus is a good guy and did everything that he said he did. But what Paul starts this off with is a big if. Because this letter is going to be read to the church. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. So what that tells us is every, we, have to, we have to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves to put it in other terms. Like, are we raised with Christ? Are we actually saved? Are we believers? Are we following after Him? Not are you coming to church. Not are you a part of First Priority and FCA. Not do you know the words to the song. Not are you a good person. But are you raised again with Christ Jesus? Have you acknowledged that I am a great sinner in need of a great Savior and Jesus, you are that. Please save me. Because, see, the scary thing is with a group this size is sometimes we think things are good between us and Jesus when they are not at all. And that's what Paul is addressing in this moment. He's saying, hey, some of you guys sitting here, you're good. you might be a good person, but you have not submitted your life to Jesus. You have not surrendered yourself to who Jesus is. And he says one way that we can find out, we continue this, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And then it goes on. It says, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above and not on things of the earth. It seems like he's getting repetitive. But two words I want to look at, seek and set. The definition for seek is to des a desire to obtain or to achieve or to find. And then for set, it means to be situated, fixed, or have a strong desire for so if we read this with those words, it says, if then you've been raised with Christ, you should have a desire to obtain or to achieve or to find the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and then it says set or situate or fix or have a strong desire in your minds on the things that are above, not things that are on earth. So my question is, why, like, why is Paul so adamant about this? And it's because the thing that you desire most, that is the thing that possesses your heart. And for a true follower of Jesus, for someone who's pursuing him, for somebody who's been born against, for somebody, in Paul's words, who's been raised with Christ, Jesus has to have, he has to be that desire of our heart. He has to be that thing that makes our heart beat fast. He has to be what possesses our heart. And that's what Paul is telling these people. Like you showing up, that is fantastic. But if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus, you have to desire things that are, that is what is above. And what is above is Jesus. Does Je is Jesus the greatest desire of your heart? Is he what possesses your heart or is it something else? 
That's what Paul is doing at the very beginning of this chapter. He's calling to their attention. You need to, you need to, you need to see, is your heart raised again with Christ? And one way you can know that, is he the, what your heart desires the most? So my question for you is, what does your heart desire the most? What has possession of your heart? What takes up all of your time? What is it that you think about the most? What is it that you worry about the most? What is it that controls the decisions that you make, the friends that you have, the things that you do? What is that that has a hold of your heart? Because what Paul is trying to communicate with these people is it has to be Jesus. Because if Jesus does not possess your heart, if he's not the one that has a hold of your heart, then it's really hard to follow him because he's asking you to do some pretty intense things and we're going to get into that in a minute. So what gets all of your attention? We've said this before, what is getting the best of you? Because what Paul is telling these people is Jesus has to be getting what is, what's best of you. He doesn't need the leftovers. Because if you've been raised with him, he is what you have set your attention on. He is what you are seeking. He is the greatest desire of your heart. And we can see that that's not true in the American church because we don't have a lot of power. We have big buildings with a lot of people. But those people rarely go out and share the gospel with people. Right? Like we can talk about and sing about Jesus all we want as long as we're in here or out in the new room. But heaven forbid I have to go have a conversation with somebody out there. So does Jesus have the possession of your whole heart? Is he the desire of your life? Because <clears throat> see, the danger... We're not going to make it all the way through, just giving you guys the heads up back there. The danger of desiring things not above and the, the danger of desiring things here below is this. We're going to talk about a couple of them. The first one is, this isn't home. This is not our home. For those of us who have been raised with Christ, the reason we have to have a desire for Jesus and things that are above is this is not our home. So you can't allow your heart to be possessed by things that are here. Because two reasons. One, they can bring you absolutely no hope. There is no hope in things that are below. And there are awesome things down here. Sports are awesome. They can't possess your heart because they can give you no hope. Because one day you get old and you can't play anymore. It's true. Or you're young and you can't play then either. Friendships, relationships, as great as those are, maximum length on them are probably about 110 years because eventually you're going to die. And whether you know it or not, even your best friends are going to let you down at some point. I let Ty down all the time, but he still loves me. Like there's no hope because of it. you could make all the money in the world, but it can't save your soul. You can be the most famous person in the world, but that's not going to bring you fulfillment. The danger of having a desire for things here below is that it's not home. They cannot fulfill you and they cannot give you any hope whatsoever. And that's why a lot of us are caught in this vicious cycle of feeling happy and then feeling depressed and then feeling happy and then feeling depressed and feeling happy and feeling depressed is because our hearts are possessed by things here below 
And we are constantly being let down because we can't find hope and we can't find fulfillment. So that is the danger of desiring things that are below. And then in verse three, it goes on and it says, for you have died and your life is hidden in is hidden with Christ in God. Like, you're not physically dead. That's not what it's talking about. Remember, we talked about in Luke 14, when Jesus says, any man wishes to follow me should deny himself, take up his cross, and come after me daily. Like, you have to die to yourself. You no longer are in charge. Things you want to do, sometimes you can't do those anymore. Things you absolutely don't want to do, like go have a gospel-centered conversation with people, you got to start doing those. Because when you die to yourself, you are acknowledging that you are no longer the God of your life. And that's hard for us to do. Um, there's this poem uh, that says, let me, let me try to get this right. I think it says, I'm going to butcher this. I think it says, uh, it, I'm getting two words mixed up, but it says, it's super famous because it sounds awesome. I should have looked it up before now. But it says, I'm the master of my faith and the captain of my soul, which sounds magnanimous. However, if you have died to yourself, you know that those things are not true because the master of your faith is Jesus. The commander of your soul, the captain of your soul is Jesus. It is no longer you. And it says, when we have died, when we have been raised again with Christ, we are already hidden with him. And the cool thing about that, we saw in the verses before, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. For so, for those of us who are saved, those of us who have been raised with Christ, our eternity is already secure at the right side of the Father, which is just magnanimous, but that's free and doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. And then in verse four, I love verse four. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That sounds magnanimous. Raise your hands if you want to appear with him in glory. I do. A lot of things I want to do in my life. That one's probably at the top of the list. I'd like to be 6'4". That one's not going to happen, but I do believe I'm going to appear with God in glory. I'd also like to dunk a basketball, but that's not going to happen if I don't get to 6'4". That was a little cold and a little nasty. I'm going to throw that back up, possibly. Hush your mouth. You're gross. Anyway. But notice it does not say this. It does not say if you go to church, you're going to appear with him in glory. It doesn't say if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you're going to appear with him in glory. It doesn't say if you're a good person, you're going to appear with him in glory. It doesn't say, if you know all the words to the songs, you're going to appear with him in glory. It says, when Christ, who is your life. The danger about this is Jesus is only part of some of our lives. He isn't our whole life. Jesus did not come and die for you on the cross just to be a part or a section of your life. He came to be the whole thing. Those of us who are going to be those of us who are going to appear with him in, in glory are the ones of us who Jesus is our whole life. He is everything to us. He is that thing that possesses our heart. He, is that, he has our complete desire. So legitimately, if you're surveying your life, is Jesus your whole life or is he just part of it? Is he your whole week or is he just part of your week like on Wednesdays and Sundays then an occasional FCA or first priority or lunch meet? 
Is Jesus your whole life or is he not? Like legitimately, do you think Jesus came and did what he did just for you to love him half of the time? And let's be honest, it's not even half. So is Jesus your whole life or is he just part of it? Like only you can answer that. Like some of us love Jesus with just part of our heart, just part of the time. That's not a kind of faith that can save anybody. When Jesus isn't our whole life and he's just part of it, some of us are going to be really shocked on that day when either Jesus returns or we go home and he says, depart from me, I never knew you because you only had a part-time love for me and I was only part of your life. I wasn't the whole thing. Like, and it is our fault as the church of just saying, hey, you come down here, you say this prayer and everything is good. That is absolutely false because this text is saying Jesus has to be everything to you. So is Jesus your whole life? Or is he just part of it? Legitimately answer that question to yourself. Survey your life the past year. Has Jesus been everything to you? No. More than likely not. But it's not just you. It's me too. How can Jesus become our whole life? We have to set our eyes on what are above. We have to seek the things that are above. And then it goes on to say this, and it starts to get a little bit rough. Not going to lie. Verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Like, this is very strong language from the Bible. Because remember, we have in the Ten Commandments, thou shall not kill. You guys remember that one? I do. Some of you may end up killing people because you don't know that that's a commandment. You should not kill people. From now on, if you know only one commandment, thou shall not kill. But now here, Paul is using such strong language. You have to put to death, therefore, this sin that is in your life. Why is he so adamant? Why is he being such, using such strong language here? The reason is we do not take sin very seriously. We don't. When it comes to sexual immorality, let's be honest. We're just thinking that we're going to get a good hookup. Not that the devil is trying to use something to kill us. When it comes to covetousness, which is idolatry, what we're doing is saying, God, you did not know what I needed. I needed what you gave to them. You are a terrible God. I need that. We don't see that the evil one is using jealousy as something that is going to kill us because we know from Romans 6.23 that because of sin, we deserve death. I don't know if you know this or not. Sin aren't, sins aren't just things that God says you should not do. They are things that... the devil is going to use to try to kill you spiritually and then eventually physically. Like, sin is very serious. And if you want to know how serious sin is to God, you have to look no further than the cross. Because sin is so serious that he sent Jesus to take our place. He's the one who knew no sin but became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. 
He killed Jesus in our place so that we may have life. God takes sin so seriously that he killed his own son. How serious do we take sin? We don't take it very serious at all. If we did, we would not continue to do it. Because see, it says put to death. My favorite thing about this is um, we like to, instead of putting sin to death, we like to like hide it or put it in a container. But this is a problem. Sin cannot go in a container. You guys have Tupperware dishes at your house? You know, like those little plastic things you put leftovers in. Then you open it, you get food out, and put it back like cookies. This is the problem. Sin's not going to go in a container peacefully. And you're not just going to be able to lift up the lid and get one cookie out and close the lid back. Because sin will fool you and make you think that you can put it in a container, but it is still going to run your life. Because when you take off the top, as much of it comes out as it wants. Like we think that we, I'm not using my analogy of sin being a wild animal eating people that I love to use. I'll wait and do that again next year. But we are trying to tame sin. We are trying to use sin. Like we think that we can make it like a well-behaved dog that's only going to do what we want when we want to do it. But sin is not like that. Like God's word doesn't say, hey, just negotiate with sin. He says you got to put it to death. So the sin that's in your life, think about those things that are just gross that you just will not stop doing. Those things that are not Christ-like whatsoever. Those things that Jesus died on the cross for that you just love to do and will not stop even though you know you should not be doing those things. What are you doing to try to put those things to death? But what are you doing to try to keep those things hidden so me or nobody else here finds out about them? Because let's be honest. That sin that has ruled our lives for as long as we can remember, we're really not trying to do anything about it. We're not trying to kill it. We're just trying to keep it hidden. Nowhere in God's word does it say keep it hidden. It says put it to death. And see, the danger about this is in verse 6. It says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And some people use this verse and they say, how can a loving God bring wrath? Sometimes, well not sometimes, love can be the greatest source of wrath that you have ever seen. Like, I was giving this example earlier. I've had guitars stolen from me, clothes stolen from me. Somebody threw gum on the hood of my car one time. All this was after Jesus. If this before Jesus, it didn't go this way. Um... And I'm like, oh, whatever. It's all good. They make more guitars. I didn't like that one anyway. The gum will eventually scrape off of the hood. You could like come to my house and like steal some decorations out of the yard. I'm like, well, we can make more. But because of this love that I possess for my girls, if I think you're going to put a hand on one of them, I'm probably going to hurt you. I'm going to get 6'4 really, really fast. <laughs> but that wrath is going to be because of my love for them. And see, God's wrath, for those of us who have been raised in Christ, the way this started, God's wrath has already been poured out on our sin on Jesus. 
But for those of us who aren't in Christ and our identity is in line with that sin that we have, one day God's wrath is going to be poured out on you. Not on Jesus, on you. Because you said, you know what, you're saying, God, instead of my desire being Jesus, instead of me submitting this sin to him, I'm just going to keep it hidden and I'm going to play the church game and I'm going to keep living my life the way that I want to as long as nobody finds out. How dangerous is that? Is that thing that is wrecking your soul worth God's wrath being poured out on you? And some of you in here, you genuinely have been saved and you're following Jesus, but there is still something that is haunting you. You are as holy as you want to be. You keep doing extremely stupid stuff on Snapchat, you should just delete it and keep it deleted. Bless you. You keep watching things you should not on your phone or your computer, you should get rid of that phone and that computer. You're in a relationship with somebody and you keep having these sexual immoral encounters, you need to get that relationship out of your life. You're always stabbing people in the back, always talking about them, just stop talking and start praying more. It's not worth the wrath of God being poured out on you and it is not worth you not becoming who it is God made you to be. And then in verse 7, it picks up and it says, In these things too, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must. Listen, if you have been saved, if you have professed faith in Jesus, if Jesus is the desire of your heart, you cannot continue to live in these sins because what Paul is saying is, but when you were lost, you had... You could just do this stuff all day long because you did not know better. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit was not in you. But now that you have a relationship with Jesus, you've got to put these things to death. And a lot of us in this room, we are at a but now moment. It's time to stop just playing the church game. It is time to start becoming who it is God made you to be so that you could have eternal impact. It's time to become who it is like, stop living in the sin that Jesus died to set you free from. Or you're going to be 30 years old, have not grown in your faith at all, because you won't put sin to death. Now listen, you're never going to be perfect. After you're saved, I still mess up all the time. Just being honest with you. Because sometimes we have this idea that, that pa pastors and people in the ministry are perfect. That is false. Completely false. But what it does mean is every time you fall, it's got to... Now, it can't, you can't fall to the same thing every day. Don't get me wrong. But it's when you do, Jesus, I'm sorry that I did that thing that you died to save me from. I'm not going back. And every day you look a little bit more like him, a little bit more like him, a little bit more like him. And suddenly this thing that had a hold of you multiple times a day becomes just a couple times a week, a couple times a month, a couple times a year until you realize, hey, that thing does not possess me anymore. It's because I put it to death. I didn't just try to put it in a container. <clears throat> We're going to get finished. Put them all away. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Like there's got to be a difference in your life before Jesus and after. There's got to be some kind of difference. You can't just stay the same. You cannot continuously be just ran over by the same sin. And Todd's about to come up here. And shortly after that, we're going to have just a time of prayer. And then we're going to, uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to some things that are going on between you and God. Like the, the, this is, these steps are what we have as an altar. And what we are going to do is you're going to have the opportunity to come up here and pray. And if there's things in your life that you have not been putting to death, you and Jesus can talk about those things. If you come to the realization that you've just been playing the part of going to church, but you are not saved, you do not genuinely love Jesus, you have time to talk to Jesus about that. If Jesus is only part of your life and not your whole life, you're going to have the opportunity to talk to him about that. So I'm going to pray for us in just a minute. And then when the band starts, if you need to come up here and pray, you just come up here and pray. You don't have to sing. You can start singing when you want to, even if that's tomorrow. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you love us.